Well, good morning, and thanks again for listening in today. Every once in a while, I think it's a good idea just to let's let's just stop. Let's just stop. Open up the phone lines and see what's on your mind. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Always happy to talk about. Could be something that we've got on the show this morning. Maybe it's something that that you've got on your mind. For example, Clayton in Saskatoon. Texting in, we've been talking a lot about the Miles Sanderson and the inquest situation. Clayton says, the Miles Sanderson issue is so full of obvious problems. That's why no one has the guts to say them out loud. Our parole system is broken. Some people are bad people and need to be in jail. Innocent people suffer because of policies about feelings and not facts. And this will keep happening until we wake up. I think Clayton makes a good point. First of all, we know that bail reform and and parole reform are absolutely needed. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Do you agree? You agree that we are we're not weighing the right information when we're making decisions about releasing people back into the community? 1877332 You know, part of it is, and I talked a little bit about this with Doug Cuthand when he was on with me. I think we have to be able to recognize we have to be able to say, and I, well, I don't even think we have to be brave enough to say, we just have to be able to say, there are some bad people in this world. There are some people that commit heinous crimes, and yeah, maybe they've got an addiction problem, and yeah, maybe there's been some challenges, but but at the end of the day, we can't be totally far on one side of, of lenient, knowing that there's still a, com- a complete danger and risk to the community. And so as you listen to people that were discussing, of course, we've been hearing about the inquest for the last couple of weeks and people are testifying, you know, saying they didn't maybe notice anything out of the ordinary. They, in some cases, there were people that were saying he should not get parole back into the community. He should be, be held in custody. And yet the parole board took a look at it on the matrix that they use and made a determination that he could be released back into the community. But of course, we know that our system doesn't have the supports. So knowing that, like we can't think that our system is perfect, and so we're going to make a decision based on our system being perfect. It is not. We don't have supports in the community. And so in the case of Miles Sanderson, releasing him back to the community, where he is going to come into contact with the same people. I don't care if he has a condition that says he's not supposed to contact certain people. We know how tough that is going to be to follow and how easily that will be broken. Same with abstain from alcohol and drugs. Unless there are rigorous supports, and I'm talking about virtually 24-7 supports, to help a person in that situation, they're going to relapse. And if they're going to relapse and we know the danger they pose to society, maybe, maybe we should make a decision to keep them in jail. Some people are bad and we have to understand and accept that. We can't keep making exceptions. Are there a ton of people that with proper support can kick the addiction habit, can dig into childhood trauma and deal with all of those issues that might be contributing factors? Absolutely, there are. Absolutely, there are. But there are some bad people in the world who we have to we have an obligation to protect society one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five maybe it's teaching that you want to talk about because of course the teachers are uh, are definitely 
in the news right now. We know that they have got a, I would say, a battle on their hands. The government and the teachers both showing an unwillingness to bend. Both of them are saying they're ready to talk, and yet they're pretty entrenched in their position, at least so it would seem. And we are now facing day one of what could be a long period of rotating strikes starting on Thursday. Thursday, we know we're going to start to see rotating strikes in a few different communities. Moose Jaw, Prince Albert, North Battleford. Someone texted in and said, why are all of the communities where the teachers are striking Sask Party constituencies? I, I don't know. I don't know that that was planned out. I mean, I'm assuming we are going to see them striking in all parts of the province, in all school divisions, regardless of uh, who the MLA might be. But the point is, the rotating strikes start on Thursday. They are in a lot of areas where we have SAS Party MLA. So, you want to talk about that? One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. And Bonnie is on the line from Audina. Thanks for calling in. Bonnie, you want to take us in a whole different direction when it comes to potential interference with voting. Is that right, Bonnie? Well, right now, um, there's so many important issues in the news, but I just wanted to remind everybody that the foreign interference inquiry into China, India, and Russia is just started yesterday, mm-hmm. and it's going on. And... Uh, there's a concern about, I'm concerned about the transparency in this because apparently the commissioner is not allowing the conservatives or the NDP to cross-examine the witnesses. And uh, I just am uh, feeling that this isn't the right thing to do. I don't understand why, because that is the purpose of the opposition is to question what's going on. And it seems as though that the narrative that way is easier controlled by the federal government, Bonnie. So thanks so much for calling that in. And uh, maybe you've got thoughts on that. one 332 8255 Got a, a lot of texts coming in. People are definitely uh, fired up about the teachers. We've got uh, Arnie and uh, Port Capel. SAS party won't bend. They want education to be privatized. Running public systems into the ground is the plan. Do you agree with that? Hayden in Yorkton, as a former teacher, I feel that we teachers have rapidly become surrogate parents of 30 kids. We now have to teach kids the fundamental basics of life, like manners, and we have no power to punish kids for misbehavior. The kids seem to be in charge of the classroom, not the teachers. When I was a sub, I was pretty much a warm bum in the seat instead of being a good teacher simply because discipline wasn't a thing that needs to change. Hmm. What do you think? one 332 8255 Happy to take your call. Happy to take your texts. Wayne in Saskatoon is uh, on the line. You want to weigh in on this teacher strike, Wayne? Oh, yes, I do, sir. First of all, I don't know any politician who's usually swayed by by what the teachers are doing. Scott Moe's not going to fold his tent, open up his wallet, and whatever else because of it. So secondly, why teachers are teachers, and here they are walking out on students I, to make a point. But the point doesn't need to be made because it's not going to do any good except give kids a day off, which they don't need. 
And a quick little secondary thing, Evan, sorry if I have a little wee thing to say. Mm -hmm. You're right. When I went to school, we were scared of the teacher. <laughs> Not because he would beat us. We no. were scared of the teacher. We're kids. I, you know what? I, I use the word scared too, Wayne, but you know what I think it is? I, I think if, we're, if you and I are being honest with each other, we respected the teacher. Well, that is true. Now, my little boy is in grade five, and they have a teacher. He, this grade of boys and girls, there's, been a, there's some boys in his class right from day one. They are just absolutely horrible. And they made teachers, female teachers, very uneasy, and you know that. This guy, this man in the room, yeah, that's not happening. He lays down the law. He's got a big, booming voice, and the kids respect him, and they're a little scared of his big right. voice, you know? Right. So, yeah, but the teacher strike, I'm sorry that I'm not against unions, but I am against um, teacher striking. I right. think we need a new president in charge who can do more than just basically this. All right. Well, Wayne in Saskatoon, kind of basically calling out both sides, which I've heard a lot of people do say, you know, the government has to be willing to come to the table and the teachers have to be willing to negotiate on some of these issues as opposed to taking a hard stand. Where do you fall on that? one 332 A lot of people are, are basically thinking this is headed for disaster. It's a crash course. I mean, we are, we are headed for arbitration. But remember, one side can't agree to and trigger arbitration on their own. So if we can't if we can't get them to agree about who's willing and who isn't to bargain, do we think they're going to agree on going to an arbitration? And don't forget, looking at it from the perspective of whether it's the provincial government or the STF, arbitration means you lose a bit of control over the outcome. Right, You present your case to someone, and they determine, based on what they hear from both sides, something that would be a close replication of what successful bargaining would have looked like. I mean, that's the essence of arbitration. So in order to go, you have to be willing to let go a little bit of control. <laughs> and I do not see that happening. one 332 8255 Paul at Nippon, what's your take on the teacher's trick? Good morning. My take is, you're asking a while ago how long this is going to take before we have an agreement, before we, we all sit down and, and, and discuss. It's going to take as long as it takes the government to understand that what they don't want to come to the table is because they don't understand that it's a money issue. The class composition and setups and class sizes, et cetera, is a money issue. That was, and the power was taken away from the school boards a long time ago by the SASC party that they can't raise their own funds through mill rates. And it's, why can't that be discussed? Why can't it change? You and Mr. Moe agreed a couple of weeks ago how school and education has changed so much since you went to school. Well, yeah. So why aren't they not willing to change themselves and how they do things? Because right now they're being a bit arrogant and they're, they're stubborn as heck about understanding that this is a money issue. It's a money issue. There's no doubt about it. You're right, Paul. 100% right. And, you know, on that, let's just talk about wages for a second. Let's talk about wages for a second, because there's been a lot thrown out about what the wage ask is by STF and what government is offering. So government has offered the teachers 7% over three. 
7% over three years. The teachers are asking for 2% a year over four, plus a cost of living increase. Now, there's been calculations done that have said, well, that number then becomes 23.5%. Because we know cost of living last year was 6 or roughly 6%. Uh, this year projected to be 4, could be 4 over the next couple of years. So that you know could be 23.5%. Now, when I asked that question to Samantha Beacott, she basically said, we don't know what the calculation is because... We don't know what cost of living is going to be in the next couple of years, but also we're willing to talk at the table. So what that tells me, if you're listening to it, what that tells me is they don't expect to get 6% from last year, but they expect to be able to talk about how cost of living impacts teachers. I mean, that's the union's job. Who, who, who should be shocked that they want to do that? That's their job. And so how it impacts teachers and then negotiate there's a great concept. Negotiate what that looks like. So this has sparked a lot of people to say, well, wait a minute. The MLAs got a co- they've got a guaranteed cost of living increase and, you know, it's built right in. So they got a hefty raise last year. Others are saying, no, they turned it down. So I wanted to do a bit of digging into that. I didn't know what the answer is. Here's what they did. Because cost of living is built in to increases for elected provincial officials, MLAs. What they decided, because last year's number would have been like somewhere between 6 and 8%. And so they discussed this. They discussed the fact that that's a large number. And so they put a ceiling and a floor, basically a cap on a cost of living increase. It can be as low as zero and as high as 3%. So there's a cap. And going forward, unless they, I guess, vote to change it, it will be never more than 3%. So the cost of living increase they would have got in a year where cost of living went up over 6%, if they got their cost of living increase, it would be 3% in that year. Just to kind of settle the waters a little bit on that. Now, you still may say, see... The MLA's got it. Why shouldn't the teachers? But lots of people weighing in on this, and that's what this is. It's the hour of your open line, one 332 8255 We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, get a couple more calls on right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Every once in a while, it's good just to pause and say, look, let's stop some interviews for a second, and let's just open up the phone lines, open up the text lines, and hear what you're thinking about. A lot of it has been around teachers. Kevin and Regina texted in, where can this teacher thing end? My thoughts, what if the teachers agree to the wage proposed by the government, because it's not about money, and he puts that in quotes, and then the government create a policy on class sizes. Say, classes over 23 kids get a teacher's aid, as well as a ratio of helpers to help high-needs kids. That sounds reasonable to me. This is Kevin and Regina, and what do you think? One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We've got time for a couple more callers. Danielle from Nippowin, what's your thought on the whole teacher strike and situation? Um, okay, so I actually just gave up my teaching position last November. Okay. To be a farmer's wife and stay at home mom and I work for the Health Foundation here. But I just wanted to give a little bit of insight sure. on classrooms and the burnout rate in teachers due to the lack of support. So, yeah, like, 
a raise is good for everyone. We're living in an economic crisis. Everyone needs more funds. Um, but it's definitely just getting the government to sit and look at what classes actually look like. Mm-hmm. If you ask anyone who re- just retired, they'll tell you that they would have never been able to teach 30 years if they started teaching in today's world. Just the complexity has gone through the roof? Is it w- Insane. And needs. Like, if you have a kid who is dealing with psychological issues, it is so hard to get a psychologist. Speech comes into the school once every two weeks for a morning when you're dealing with so many kids. Like, this is with a small-town school. But just the resources to help teachers is so limited that the burnout in teachers is astonishing. Well, I'm hearing it from many, and Danielle is a good example of someone who was in teaching and made the decision. I don't know that you make the decision. If you are 100% in love with your job, I don't know that you make the decision to leave the profession, right? I mean, it. Ha- it ha- but we're hearing it more and more from people, and I appreciate hearing that perspective coming in. Danielle and Nippowin is just the latest example of a former teacher, not necessarily retired, but someone who's decided to leave the profession early because of the challenges that exist in the schools today. Well, the benefit of open lines is we can flip the switch and move to a different topic just like that. We started off this half an hour talking about parole and probations and basically incarceration. I've got Kyle on the phone from Weyburn. What's your thoughts when we're talking about, I would say, the jail system as a whole, Kyle? Hey, Evan. Yeah, like I've had friends that have been inside up in the system. I have friends who work in the system. Um, the biggest problem is, is what I understand is we focus more on incarceration as opposed to rehabilitation. We don't try to like find the issues of why they're in here in the first place, you know, deal with their drug addictions, maybe their mental health issues, as well as give them an education. Some of these people only have an elementary school or part part of grade, of high school. And then we don't give them tools to get employment and progress mm-hmm. after they get out of the system. It's, it's basically they get so institutionalized that they know nothing else but jail as a safe haven for themselves. And so the, the need to set them up for success and then release them to a system with proper supports to ensure success. And we know that is a complicated and very broken part of our justice system as well. Just like that, half an hour's gone by. <laughs> you know, I like, I think this is a good idea every once in a while. Just open up the phone lines. We'll, we'll do this on a fairly regular basis, sometimes for an hour. Today we had half an hour. We figured, what the heck? Let's open them up and always appreciate you weighing in. That number 1877-332-8255 is always there for you to call or text on whatever we're talking about. We're going to talk about travel challenges and what your rights are when it comes to being an air travel passenger next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.